Welcome to Humans in Public Health. I'm Megan Hall. A little over a year ago, you probably didn't think about the way germs spread in a grocery store. But now, we're all amateur epidemiologists. The pandemic has made public health more visible than ever before. But it's always been there in the background. It touches all aspects of our lives, from how we design our cities to what we feed our kids. For National Public Health Week, Brown University School of Public Health is offering you a glimpse into everything that public health means and all that it can do. Today, our topic is anxiety. How do we address the fear and worry that grips us, especially during times of uncertainty? How do we help our kids do the same thing? Brown School of Public Health's Dr. Judd Brewer says, unfortunately, trying to fix anxiety often only makes it worse. We can feel anxiety and not do anything about it, but often because it feels uncomfortable, our survival brain says, do something about this. And ironically, we tend to worry, which just feeds back and drives more anxiety. Judd Brewer wasn't always an expert on anxiety. He's an addiction psychiatrist. So his area of research is around how to break bad habits like smoking or overeating. He says he started thinking about anxiety because his patients needed help with that, too. You know, I was starting to get anxious that I couldn't help my own patients with anxiety. And the reason for that was that as a psychiatrist prescribing medications, the best medications out there have what's called a number needed to treat, which means how many patients you need to treat before one person shows a significant benefit. So that number needed to treat is 5.15 for the gold standard medication. So does that mean you could treat five people and only one of them would start feeling better? Exactly. Exactly. And I didn't know which one it would be. So I was playing the treatment lottery, you know. <laughs> Judd wanted to find a more effective way to treat his patients. So we started digging into the research. Eventually, he found studies from back in the 80s when scientists were developing new antidepressant medications. Those studies suggested that anxiety can follow the same cycle as bad habits. And my eyes popped out of my head and I was thinking, wow, I never thought about that. And also, wow, I know how to treat habits, so maybe we could bring these two things together. Judd says he realized that anxiety is actually similar to a craving for a cigarette. For example, with a cigarette, if somebody, they need nicotine, they haven't smoked in an hour or two, their body says, go get a cigarette. And if we're anxious, our body says, go make this go away because this doesn't feel very good. But instead of reaching for a cigarette when we feel anxious, we start worrying. And that just makes our anxiety worse. Let's say you've got teenage kids and they start driving for the first time and they're out with their friends at night and the parent is up late at night worrying about their kid's safety. Well, I can promise you that worrying isn't going to keep the kids safe. Promise you, right? But it gives us something to do to make us feel like we're in control. So it's like, well, I can't keep them safe. So at least I can do something which shows up as worrying. Yet that worrying just feeds back and makes the anxiety worse because worry doesn't feel good. And it, we just start thinking of all the worst case scenarios. So that's how it can actually be driven as a habit itself. So instead of reaching for a cigarette when we feel anxiety, although some people do reach for a cigarette when they feel anxious, we reach for more worry because at some point we've decided that worrying gives us a sense of control. But that only just leads to more worry. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what I've also seen, especially in the last year, is that people not only worry, but they reach for other soothing behaviors. So for example, you've probably heard of the quarantine 15 that got updated to the quarantine 20 and the quarantine 30 as people kept gaining weight, right? So people reach for food. 
or people reach for alcohol. Alcohol consumption has skyrocketed in, in some populations, right? I even wrote about one of my patients in my book who was referred to me for alcohol use disorder because he was drinking alcohol as a way to mitigate his anxiety. Yet it was only making things worse because it wasn't fixing his anxiety and he now had a drinking problem. So the things that we often reach to to solve our anxiety just makes the situation worse. Yes, yes. So what should we be reaching for instead? <laughs> All right, here's another paradox uh, or irony that's come from this research. There's this Western willpower-based approach for everything, right? Just do it. Uh, there was a great skit about a therapist and a patient from Bob Newhart from the 1970s. Oh, yes. uh, so basically, patient walks into this therapist's office, who's Bob Newhart, and uh, says, you know, I have this fear. So what, what you're saying is you're, uh, you're claustrophobic. Uh, yes. Yes, that's it. And he basically says, stop it. Just stop it. I'm sorry? Stop it. Stop it? Yes. S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. This highlights what we'd still do today, whether it's smoking. Boy, I wish I could, patient comes into my office and I could say, just stop smoking, you know, just stop overeating, just stop worrying. Because that's the approach that we tend to take with everything. I start there because that's a standard approach that our minds typically go to where we think, oh, I'm worrying, I should just stop it. And, and I should be able to control my mind. So the first step, is really understanding how our minds work rather than trying to just go in there and fix them. So what do I need to understand about anxiety so I can work with it? Yeah, it's, it's actually pretty simple. The idea here is it's a trigger, a behavior, and a result. And if we can map that out with any habit, we can then start to work with it because we can see how things are driven. So for example, with the patient with, that was referred to me for alcohol use disorder, uh, first thing we did was we mapped out, okay, he drinks, there's the behavior. We mapped it back. What was the trigger? Well, it was anxiety. Okay. And then we mapped it forward to see what he was actually getting from it. So what are the results? So he would get hangovers. He would uh, spend a lot of money. He was gaining weight because alcohol is a lot of calories. And so he could start to see the results of drinking. And then it was actually feeding back and driving more anxiety. So that actually helped set up the second step for somebody stepping out of these habit loops. So it's enough to just say, I, I this thing is leading me to do something and the result of this behavior, I don't like. So I have to break this chain. Yes, and you're actually touching on the key to breaking the chain. So instead of saying, I just need to break the chain, which we can't do, willpower is you know, the weakest part of our brain and also the first part of the brain that goes offline when we're stressed or anxious. I wouldn't start there. What, what is strong in our brains is how they learn things, right? So if we learn the habit very easily, then we can actually tap into that same mechanism to unlearn it. Let's just walk through a real example. Talk about a hypothetical mother whose kids are still distance learning. So let's say this woman or me. <laughs> You're channeling this person, right? You're channeling. Yeah, I, I could never relate to this, obviously. <laughs> No, let's say I'm in my office. I have a long list of things to do. My kids are in the next room. They're screaming, mommy. I know I have to make dinner in 15 minutes. I'm starting to feel anxiety and panic about how I'm going to possibly do everything that's on my plate. If you could sit on my shoulder, what would you tell me to do? What are the steps you'd walk me through? 
So the first step I would walk you through is I pull up this habit mapper, right? And we'd map it out together. So I'd ask, okay, what's the behavior? Is it worrying? Yeah. So we'd write that down. Okay, worrying. I would trace it back to the trigger. Was it, you know, hearing your kids saying, mom, I need you. Or it could even be a thought. Oh, this to-do list is way too long. It's, it, <laughs> it is infinite. I'm never going to get all this done. I'm going to disappoint all my clients. And I'm a terrible mother because I've been ignoring my kids all day. They've had too much screen time. And now I don't even know what I'm going to feed them. But you're also highlighting the echo habit loops that can come on top of the worry habit loops, which is the self-judgment. That's such a common one where we judge ourselves. And all of that just makes us feel more closed down and contracted and freaked out, which then makes our thinking and planning brain, which needs to say, okay, what am I going to make for dinner? Go offline. Right. So then I would have you map out those results. What are you getting? Well, I'm judging myself. I'm having trouble thinking. I'm feeling panicked and all those things. So from there, I would then say, okay, what do you get? And we'd really highlight, oh, I can't think it's, I'm having trouble planning, you know, all that stuff so that you could really see very, very clearly that the worrying and the judging yourself wasn't helping. Okay. So far, so good. Yep. I get it. But that doesn't change the fact that I have to make dinner and I have all this stuff to do. It doesn't, but the key is to help your brain come back online so it can work optimally, right? The awareness isn't going to magically make dinner for you, but it is going to help you be able to be efficient and even, you know, less stressed out when making dinner, right? Because we can spread anxiety from one person to another. So if you're anxious when making dinner, your kids could pick up on that. You know, it's like you're sneezing on their brain, <laughs> so to speak. Your kids can pick up on that and then they, they build on that energy and then everybody's anxious, right? So if I followed that process, what, what happens next? Yeah. So the next step is what I call bringing in the BBO, the bigger, better offer. So if you start to see that, that worry and self-judgment aren't that rewarding, that's that key step. It opens up the door to helping your brain say, let's find out something better. And here I like the two categories of curiosity and kindness. If we're worried, we can get curious and ask, oh, what does this feel like in my body? Because anxiety and worry feel closed down, curiosity feels opened up, and you can't be closed and open at the same time. And if we're judging ourselves, we can ask ourselves, you know, well, what's it like to be kind to myself and just offer ourselves some kind words or put our hand on our heart to remind ourselves, you know, I'm good enough. Good enough is actually very good. And that bigger, better offer helps our brain get back online so that then, say, the hypothetical you could actually think and plan for dinner. So how is this different for kids? How do you walk a young child through this? Because children are experiencing a lot of anxiety these days with uh, COVID and, and their schools being canceled. There's just so much change happening to them and they have little control over it. We haven't done the research on this in my lab. I'll give you some BS, some baseless speculation, okay? <laughs> Maybe it's not completely baseless. If the key idea is to help us ground ourselves, like step out of the spiral, there's a great practice called five-finger breathing. Basically, with a kid, we can have them trace their fingers on one hand with the index finger of their other hand as they're breathing. So as they breathe in, they trace up the pinky of one hand. As they breathe out, they trace down the pinky and then trace up the ring finger. In five breaths, we've traced our whole hand. In 10 breaths, we've traced it pinky to thumb, thumb to pinky. And the idea there is it is multimodal. So it brings in touch in three places, touch 
touch on two different fingers and uh, feeling the physical sensations of the breath. It also brings in the visual system where we're watching our hand and our brains really can't hold a lot in our working memory at once. So if we fill up our working memory with the direct experience, it ejects all of our worry thinking or anxiety. And also paying attention as we're breathing can actually help slow down and calm down our physiology. Children can actually apply this five finger breathing. They can practice it anytime they start to feel anxious. That can help them calm down right in the moment. The other piece is kids are naturally curious, right? If we approach the situation with curiosity and say, oh, well, where do you feel that in your body? Oh, what does it feel like? Can you put words to it and, and engage their curiosity? Oh, let's explore this as compared to, oh, no, you're anxious again. You know, let's do something. All right. Well, I want to take a step backwards, kind of look at the bigger picture. COVID has been an anxiety producing time, but now a lot of us are looking towards an even more uncertain future, which is what is it going to look like when I go back to work or my kids go back to school? What is on the horizon once more people get the vaccine? So what sort of general advice do you have to people who are now looking into the future and trying to figure out how to prepare and how to face this new world. So here I would say, ask yourself, how far into the future do you really need to plan right now? Am I just getting worried about, oh, what's going to happen in two months? What's going to happen in three months as compared to, no, I absolutely need to plan this specific event. And so when you need to plan it, then plan it. But if you don't need to, and see if you can just let that go and you know make dinner. <laughs> start with concrete things that you can do today that need to get done, because that's going to actually help you move toward those things in the future. All right. Now I'm going to ask you to do something that you just said we shouldn't do. (laughs) Looking towards the future. So if COVID has sort of turned our world upside down, a lot of things we thought were certain are no longer certain. A lot of ways of working and being that we thought were just standard are now kind of up in the air. If you as an expert on anxiety were to sort of redesign the way we work and live to be more friendly to ourselves, to help us stop getting into this anxiety loop, how would you redesign it? What are some sort of things you would say that we should just do differently now? I would say anything that we can do to train ourselves to be more curious. You know, when I was a kid, my mom said, just go out and play and don't get hit by a car. Right. And so I'd play with my friends and we'd make up games and we'd play, you know, sports, but I was never scheduled, you know, oh, you're going to soccer practice, you're going to this practice, whatever, which I think can actually kill kids curiosity because it's like, oh, now I have to do this as a task, even if they like playing whatever the sport is, but it's different than mom saying, well, you've got unscheduled time. Go, you know, let your curiosity rip. So I would say this is not just for helping kids grow up to be more curious, but also adults. How much are we trying to control things by scheduling things? And how well is that helping us live happy, healthy lives? What if we just started exploring? Well, what am I getting from trying to control the future, which I generally can't do? Versus opening to the moment. Oh, well, let's foster some creativity. Let's foster some curiosity now. So I would say curiosity, 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 repeat. That's what I would do differently. Cool. So just be more curious. That's the theme for the next stage of our lives. That's what I would say. All right. Well, Dr. Jed Brewer, it was really a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for taking the time. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Dr. Judd Brewer is an associate professor of psychiatry at the Brown Medical School. 
He is also the Director of Research and Innovation at Brown University's Mindfulness Center and the author of Unwinding Anxiety. You can find his anxiety reduction app and other resources at drjudd.com. You've been listening to Humans in Public Health, a special series for National Public Health Week. Humans in Public Health is brought to you by Brown University School of Public Health. This episode was mixed by Caroline Claflin. I'm Megan Hall. Talk to you tomorrow.